Well, good morning, church. It is great to be together. My name's Ethan. I'm one of the ministers here. I am so glad to be with you today. I think I need to say welcome to the soccer team. Is that right? Yeah? Is that right? Yeah. Buffalo women's soccer is here today. All right. We're glad you're here. Welcome. All right. Uh, it's a good day today. We're in the middle of a good series. Uh, we're talking about the DNA of First Christian Church. What's the DNA of this Church, uh, you know, DNA is weird stuff, right? I remember, you know, probably it was some high school biology class. Somebody tried to explain to me what DNA worked, and it just feels—it's just like ridiculous mystery, right? Like, you know, it's a—it's a string of protein chains that contains instructions for every cell of your body and determines all kinds of things. And I'm supposed somebody understands it, but I know I don't. You know, like I don't know. It—it it tells you whether your hair is going to be blonde or brown, or whether you're going to be short or tall, or whether it'll be a male or female, whether you're going to be athletic or whatever this is, you know, uh, and DNA. The DNA apparently determines all that, and, and you, you recognize it every once in a while, don't you? Like when you're looking at family pictures, right, and you can tell that there is a common set of instructions. Um, my, my, my family, we did some vacationing in August. We took some pictures. Uh, here's a picture of me and my wife. There's no DNA going on there at a waterfall. Here's a picture of my dog at a different waterfall. No DNA resemblance there. Uh, this is my boys at yet another waterfall. And now there you're starting to see some DNA in action, right? And this is me and my boys at a, yet a, another waterfall. Apparently all we did on our vacation was go to your waterfalls. But, but I put those pictures up there so you can see, oh yeah, that, we, we know how DNA works. It creates sort of a, a family resemblance uh, among people who share a common set of instructions that is operating at every cell of their body, kind of telling them how to live. And, and that is kind of what we mean when we say the DNA of FCC. We mean that, that Jesus is, is calling us to live under a set of common instructions. And as we live under these instructions, we should start to take on sort of a, a, a family resemblance to our spiritual family. And, and Janet reminded us last week that every encounter with Jesus starts with Jesus saying, follow me. Like every even today, when you have a spiritual encounter with Christ, among the first things he's going to say is, hey you, follow me. And, and Janet warned us that we should expect the call of Jesus to follow him, we should expect to experience that call as an interruption. That like if every time you go to church and every time you read your Bible or every time you pray, all you hear is like Jesus saying, you're super. Just keep going right the way you are. You're probably not listening to Jesus. Uh, because the word of Jesus always came into people's lives as an interruption to what they were doing. Now, of course, it was an interruption of grace, right? Whoever you were, whatever you were up to, Jesus says, you can be my follower. There's room for you in my kingdom. Nobody's done anything too bad or rebelled too much or whatever. There's room for you. But it is also an interruption of surrender. Jesus actually expects us to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to stop following me. I'm going to stop following myself and my desires, and I'm going to follow you 
instead of, of me. I'm going to stop following the world. I'm going to stop following my peers. Uh, I, I'm even going to put following you above following maybe my parents and my family and my boss. Like you are the first person I follow. And so there's this interruption to the pattern of our lives. And so if that's where Jesus starts, follow me, what we're talking about in this series is what does it look like to follow Jesus? What are the things that Jesus is telling us to do as we follow him? And there are, of course, hundreds of things we could talk about. There are lots of things Jesus tells us to do. But around here at this church, we've kind of identified four that are kind of the four fundamental things we want to start with in our obedience to Jesus. And we've had the same four things uh, for more than 100 years. We've kind of said these are the four things we're going to start with and focus on. This DNA is deep in our church. Now, over the years, we've, uh, we've changed exactly how we talk about it, but it's always been the same four things. In the 1920s, uh, we said it this way. We said we commit to attend worship to serve others, to study the Bible, and to invite people into God's kingdom. We said attend, serve, study, and invite. And in fact, in 1922, they started a little habit where every year they would pass out these little cards where people would say, I commit to attend, serve, study, invite, and people would sign their name as a way to say, that's it. I'm in with this basic obedience to following Jesus. And they did that roughly every, every year. We know they did it till somewhere in the mid-30s. Eventually they stopped doing it, but it was a thing they did for a long time. We actually started doing that again last year, and we're going to do it again in two weeks. We're going to have a chance to say, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm in. I'm going to commit to these basic practices of following Jesus. Now, over time, we talked about these practices in different ways. In the 90s, we flipped up the order a little bit. We talked about it like this. We said, our mission is to glorify God, lead people to Jesus Christ, help everyone grow in Christ, serve humanity in his name. But you can see that's the same four basic things. Glorify God, that's about worship. That's what we call attend in the 20s. Lead people to Jesus, that's the same as invite. That's that was our fourth one. Help everyone grow in Christ, that's study the Bible. And serve humanity, that's serve. Um, about five years ago, we started talking about these four. We went back to the same order we'd used in the 1920s. We said we want to love God as worshipers. We want to love everyone as servants. We want to make disciples as disciples. And we want to tell our story as missionaries. And this is the language we use right now. And we call these four things the DNA of FCC. And we say this church is about these four things. These are our first Four things. Now it's curious, um, some of you who care about this kind of thing might be wondering, how is it that you've managed to have the same four things be your central focus for more than 100 years? Because actually that's quite rare for churches to do that. You kind of do one thing for a little while and then do a different thing later and you kind of have to do different things. And, and well, how have we done the thing? And you might wonder, you know, have we kept this focus on these four things because we are just that organized? And we, like, never forget anything we write down. And we kept all of our notes. And we just made sure these are our four things. We're going to stay on our four things. And that would be a good guess. It would also be completely wrong. Like, that isn't true at all. In fact, those 
three articulations, and I could put a couple others from different eras, all these articulations that listed the same four things every single time throughout, our hundred, throughout at least the last hundred years, I can't document earlier than that, but at least for the last hundred years, all of those were derived independently with no knowledge of the others, including the last one. When we wrote, uh, when our elders worked together on this list right there, we didn't know, uh, we, we weren't aware of the previous ones. And so how did that happen? Well, here's the, the reason it happened. Because the thing that has been consistent for the last hundred years for us as a church is that the only thing we have to base our church life on is God's word. And the only master we have is Jesus. And these four ideas come straight from the most important teachings of Jesus. Those first two, love God, love everyone, which showed up in all those lists, those are what Christians have traditionally called the great commandments. And we're going to look at them together today. And the next two, make disciples and tell our story or be a witness, those come from what Christians have traditionally called the great commission. And we'll look at them next week. But we're starting with these two. Love God as worshipers. Love everyone as servants. Every list our church has ever made of our top priorities has included those two. And the reason is because when Jesus was asked what his top priorities were, that was how he answered. We can see this in several places. Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus said, well, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I love what Jesus does here. Guy asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And he actually gives him a straight answer. You know, he could have gone all philosophical. Well, all the commandments come from God, so I suppose they're all important, you know. But he doesn't do that. He gives him a reasonable question. It deserves an answer. On the other hand, he doesn't exactly give him a straight answer. Because the guy asked for one commandment, and Jesus gives him two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor. It's almost as in the same breath, just to make sure we don't ever separate them. He's got the second one immediately following the first. The guy responds to Jesus, Well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are really close. You are not far from the kingdom of God. That's worth noticing. Jesus says that to know the greatest commandments means you're super close to the kingdom of God. When you know the command of God for your life, To love God above all others and to love your neighbor as yourself. Just knowing the command means you're super close to the kingdom of God. Not in it, mind you. But you're right at the gate. Sort of makes you wonder, what does it take to to get all the way in, you know? Not just to be close, but to, to all the way in. To know the commands of God means you're very close to the kingdom of God. Not in it, but very close. 
couple things we can observe about these two commands. One thing we can observe is that the Bible teaches that these two commands, love of God and love of neighbor, are utterly and entirely inseparable. And all our attempts to do one without the other will fail. In the first letter of John, he writes this. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have not seen cannot love God whom they have seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Some of us are religious types. Not not all of us, but some of you are pretty religious people. There's a thing that can happen to a religious person if they're not careful. They can think to themselves that they are really good at loving God. Without much time or sympathy or love for other people. It can happen to a religious person. They think they're really good at loving God, but they don't have much love for other people. And John says, if you say you love God, but don't love other people, you're a liar. Because you don't really love God. For the one who loves God will also love others. Likewise, though, these commands are inseparable the other way. All our attempts to love other people without love for God fall short and fall flat. Because without the power of God, we have no love to offer other people. There is no transcendent, ultimate love we have to give others. The Bible again and again says these two commands are absolutely interlinked. Jesus also teaches that these two commands are where we start following Jesus. If you are that person, that one who is trying to pay attention to God, desiring God to be in a, a part of your life, and what you are hearing God say is, Hey, you, follow me. Live a life patterned after mine. The place the Bible teaches us to start is with these two commands. Luke chapter 10. An expert in the law stands up to test Jesus. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the guy knows the answer to the question. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He gets the answer right. He knows the two greatest commandments. And what did Jesus say, right? If we know the right answer, we're so close to the kingdom of God. To know that God calls us to love him with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourself. If you know that, oh, you're so close. And this guy knows it. He knows the answer. And Jesus responds to him. You have answered correctly. Now just do it. And you will live. We wondered earlier what the gap was, right? Between being close to the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of God, that's the gap. 
Do it and you will live. Because, see, that's how DNA works, right? You know, bones have DNA, right? You, you dig up bones in your yard. You can t- The DNA is there in the bones. It's just dead, right? D- D- DNA doesn't by itself mean life. DNA is just the instructions. For there to be life, there have to be cells and organs and tendons obeying the instructions, enacting the instructions, Right? Apparently, my DNA says that my hair is going to go gray one splotch at a time. Because that's what my DNA, and believe me, my hair is obeying the instructions, right? Every haircut I get, the splotch is a little bigger there, right? But, but, but that's the way DNA works. What creates life is not the existence of the commands, Jesus says. What creates life is the obedience to the commands. And this is the way Jesus interrupts us. He comes and shakes us and wakes us and says, hey, hey, follow me. Follow me. I think sometimes about the the signs on roadways when I think about following Jesus. You know, most of the time, you're, you're looking at road signs and you've got stop signs and yield signs and, and they're all important. One of the most curious signs for me, though, is, is the red rectangle that says on it, wrong way. Have you ever seen these signs, you know? Boy, that's a worrisome sign, right? I can only think of one time I've really needed a wrong way sign. I came to one of these complicated intersections. There were ramps and curves, and it was a divided highway situation, and there was a split left turn lane, and I just had a terrible time figuring out exactly which lane I was supposed to go into, and I looked for a this-way sign or a one-way sign, and I couldn't find one anyway, or so I, I, I sort of made my best guess. It felt like the road I was supposed to be on and I turned on and it was two lanes and it was going the direction I wanted to go so we were in good shape and I started accelerating I was on that road though about 30 yards before I signed it saw it that big red sign wrong way I'm glad I saw the sign I immediately pulled immediately off the road into the curb because I had clearly gotten confused and not a moment too soon because I was going about 70 miles an hour one way and all these other cars were going about 70 miles an hour the other way. I found that sign to be a very helpful sign. You, You sort of hope that you could live your whole life and drive everywhere you ever drive and never get stared in the face with a wrong way sign. But when you do... You're glad it's there. Because the alternative to a wrong way sign is a head-on collision, right? And Jesus sometimes functions like that. Mostly what Jesus says to us is, follow me. That's sort of a this-way sign or a one-way sign, right? Jesus says to us, follow me. Come on, this way. Let's chase the direction of loving God. Let's walk in the direction of loving others. But every once in a while, for our own rescue, Jesus says, okay, this is what the wrong way sign looks like. Because there is a pattern of life that walks in the opposite direction of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We could give that pattern the name idolatry. 
Idolatry is the name of the pattern of life that moves us away from following Jesus who says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there is a pattern of life that moves in the opposite direction of loving your neighbor as yourself. We could call that, call that pattern hatred. Hatred is the pattern of life that moves us away from Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. And the Bible actually talks quite a lot about these two patterns, idolatry and hatred. The Bible has a lot to say about idolatry. The first two of the Ten Commandments are about the dangers of idolatry. Dangerous, why? Because they lead us in the opposite direction of the direction to which Jesus calls us. The last five of the Ten Commandments are about the various ways we hate one another. And we need that warning. Why do we need that warning? Because those patterns lead us away from the call of Jesus for our life to love one another. Idolatry is funny to talk about today, isn't it? So many of us are convinced that idolatry basically doesn't exist anymore. They used to worship idols, but we don't worship idols. Maybe this definition will help you. Idolatry occurs whenever we love or worship anything more than or prior to God. Idolatry happens whenever we love or worship anything anything more than or prior to God. And my observation of myself and of you is that idolatry actually happens a lot. Many of us persistently follow a pattern of loving and worshiping many things more than we love and worship. God. Usually, if we're going to make an idol, we make an idol out of something good. For some of us, our idol is our family. That is what we love and worship and serve more than we love and serve God. Maybe it'll be your nation. Uh, European history is basically the history of Christians who loved their nation more than their God. Basically, read the history of Europe. That's what it is. It's the history of Christians who loved their nation more than their God, so they fought a war about it. We can be embarrassed by that, but let's not be fooled into thinking that we're better than them. If it happened to them, it could happen to us. You can make a passion project like a cause or a political party or climate change. That can become an idol. The thing you love and worship and sacrifice for more than you love and worship and sacrifice for God. It can happen with personal things. Our desires can become an idol. Our comfort can become an idol. Our wealth can become an idol. Idolatry, at least my idols, I notice them most readily when I need to make an important decision. Think with me here. When you make an important decision, a difficult decision, what do you consider first? The, the financial implications, maybe? Some of us would. Now, what about the family indications, implications? How will your parents feel about it, your kids feel about it, your spouse feel about it? 
Maybe you think about how it will affect your status and your reputation. When you make an important decision in ethics, morality, career, how far down the list of considerations is the will and glory of God? Is it the second thing you think about? Is it the fourth thing you think about? Is it even on the list? When you're making big decisions, how far down the list is the will and glory of God? What about when you make a sacrificial offering? You know, when you make a sacrifice, a worshipful sacrifice. Now, I know some of you are tempted to think, Ethan, are you kidding me? Nobody's made a sacrifice as an act of worship for 2,000 years. And I, I sort of know what you mean. I get that you probably haven't killed a goat in honor of any god in the last six months. I, I get that that's likely. But don't kid yourself. We make sacrifices of worship all the time, every day. All the time we say, out of honor and glory for this, I will sacrifice that. Out of honor and glory to my family, I will sacrifice time at the office so I can be with my kids. Out of honor and glory to my profession, I will sacrifice time with my family so I can get a little more work done. Out of honor and glory to my status, I will sacrifice money to buy this wealthy object that creates status among my peers. Out of honor and glory to wisdom, I will sacrifice time and money and leisure to study and get this degree. We make sacrifices of worship constantly. The only question is, what do you sacrifice and for what purpose? The thing you sacrifice is your offering. The purpose for which you make the sacrifice is your God. The thing you sacrifice is your offering. The purpose for which you make the sacrifice is your God. This is what reveals our idols. How do you make decisions? What do you sacrifice? And for what do you make the sacrifice? Our idols are revealed with questions of time. How do you allocate your time? Who gets your first hour, your best hour, and your most hours? That's probably what you worship. Our, our idols are revealed with our wealth. Who gets your first dollar, your best dollar, and your most dollars? Again, if, if it isn't God and God's mission, you might just have an idol. You might need to stop and ask yourself, what are you loving with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Now, now why do we go through this? Well, we go through this just to say that God has put in our path signs that say, wrong way. Why would God put that sign in our path? Well, just so we turn around. That's it. God reveals in us when we have fallen into idolatry, so we'll just turn around. And hear Jesus say, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, you're going the wrong way. Interrupt. That's the goal of Christ right now. To interrupt us as we just kind of wander down the wrong directions. And no, no, turn around. Follow me. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have no other gods before me. The Lord is your God. The Lord alone. Worship him and him alone. Make sacrifice to him and him alone. Likewise, the Bible spends a lot of energy warning us 
about the pattern we might call hatred. Now, I know some of you were thinking, uh, Ethan, I don't hate anybody. Most people I don't even care about. Okay, great. If you don't want to call it hatred, you can call it indifference. That's fine. I get it. This pattern goes by many names. You could call it cruelty, indifference, selfishness. And in its pure form, none of us are confused. Like you might have thought idolatry was a thing of the past. None of us think hatred is a thing of the past. In, in its pure form, hatred is easy to identify in other people, right? We ask questions like this. Why are they so hateful? What is wrong with all these hateful people on the internet these days? You know what I'm talking about, right? But if it is your goal to have the DNA of Jesus alive in your life, functioning as the instruction system for your life, you're going to have to ask some different questions. Not why are they so hateful, but when am I that hateful? Not what's wrong with them, but what's wrong with me? Here are a couple questions you could consider. What about this one? In what settings and under what conditions do you stop seeking the good of the people around you? Or who are the people that I actually want bad things to happen to? Who are the people who when they succeed, I get angry? Some of you have people on that list. Don't pretend you don't. What about this one? Who are the people whose needs and suffering I ignore? I wrote that question uh, Monday or Tuesday this week in my notes. That question has just wrecked me this week. Because I'm just so humiliated by how long the list is. The, 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 the people whose needs and suffering I just ignore because it makes my life easy to forget about their hunger and forget about their pain and forget about their suffering because I, I want to get stuff done. Maybe you got people whose needs and suffering you ignore. Jesus, you see, means to interrupt us when he says, follow me. And so, I, I don't know, anybody else here have a little idol collection somewhere? A little shelf of all the different things you worship? I mean, and totally, God's on the shelf. I mean, you wouldn't be here if God wasn't on the shelf. But see, God says he wants to be the only thing on the shelf. What else is on that shelf? To what else do you make sacrifice? What do you consult first when you make important decisions? How it will affect your status? How it will affect your family? Or how it will affect the glory and will and purposes of God? Who gets the first insight into the path of your life? Anybody else got a little idol collection? Anybody else got a little hatred habit? I mean, not everybody. It's not most people. But just a few people, that if something bad could happen to them, that would be a good day, you know? I want to I challenge you. If you recognize these patterns in your life, let this recognition function like a wrong way sign on the highway. 
What I did was I immediately veered off the road into the curb as the cars came whizzing the other direction. I waited for a break in the traffic, and I turned around and drove the other way. That is the function of the recognition when a pattern of sin has developed in our life. Not that we would feel guilty about it. Christ has satisfied the requirements of the law. In Christ, there is no condemnation. We are set free in judgment by trusting in Christ. The function of guilt is beyond useless. We recognize these patterns so that we might turn and hear Jesus say, Hey, come on. We're going to run this way in the direction of loving God alone. We're going to run this way in the direction of loving our neighbor as ourself. That road, you don't want to be on that road. That road leads to destruction. That road leads to chaos. That road leads to fear. Do not find... Do not find your own sin charming. We do that, right? Well, I hate some people, but, you know, I'm only human. Got to hate somebody. You know, I have a few idols, but they're little. Really rather adorable. Don't find your sin charming. Recognize it. It is a path that leads to destruction. It is a rebellion against the invitation of Christ. And the place to which Christ invites you is better. And he said, when the guy asked him, how do I chase life, Jesus? Tell me how to chase life. He says, well, if you know my commands, oh, man, you are really close. Oh, my goodness, you are so close. When you know that God says his first command is love God as a worshiper, his his next command is love everyone as a servant. Boy, you are so close. But how do you chase life? Do it. Do it. Love God as a worshiper. Let that be the DNA of your life. Love everyone as a servant. In a couple weeks, we're going to get super practical with this. Uh, We're going to do just what they did back in the 1920s. We're going to make a couple specific challenges. Uh, we got a couple specific challenges under love God and some ones under love everyone. We're going to talk about who, who would be willing to just commit to yourself to before God and to one another. Say, that's it. I'm going to commit to make worship a weekly rhythm of my life. I will not break that rhythm. I will, no matter what, it will be the first priority of my life to make worship the rhythm of my life. And, and service, uh, I'm going to move past the thing. We do this, right? When we get, the first thing we do when we get serious about service is we say like this, I'm just going to live as a servant to everybody. Like everywhere I go, I'm just going to serve people. And then we discover that's a cop-out. If you want to be committed to service, this is what you're going to have a chance to do in a couple of weeks. You have to name the time and the place and the people. The act of service, the rhythm of service, the mode of service by which you're going to serve. And then on top of that specific service, you add a posture of service to everyone. We'll talk about these specific commitments in a couple of weeks. Our goal with this series is not to learn a little theology It is to actually see the DNA of Jesus begin to become the instructions for our life. Just like the DNA of our bodies tells a liver cell how to be a liver cell and a kidney cell how to be a kidney cell, we're going to let Jesus tell us how to live. I will give you one preview of a specific challenge that you can be a part of that sort of combines these two of loving God in worship and loving others through service. 
God has been very generous to us as a church in the last year um, by letting us welcome hundreds of new people into our church family in the last year. Many of you are among those people who have come in the last year. This is a wonderful generosity of God for which we are grateful. We do not take it for granted. We take seriously the opportunity we have to welcome new people. But one of the ways we need to welcome people around here is new people when they come have got to be able to find a parking place and they've got to be able to find a place to sit. And in case you don't know, it is August which means that most of our Milligan students aren't back. The soccer team is. They're working hard. But most of them aren't back. Most of our ETSU students aren't back. And a lot of our people are still on vacation. So look around this room. This is what the room looks like in August. I want to tell you what it looks like in September. In September, if we don't do anything, it will look just like this except 40 people will have tried to come, there won't have been room for them, and they'll be at McDonald's eating breakfast, okay? We can't let that happen. So I'm going to tell you about a very specific ways that we can worship and serve. Starting the first Sunday of September, we're going to reopen uh, the CLC. That's the room at the far end as a worship venue. It'll have uh, kind of a live host, but the worship service will be the same one we do up here, uh, delivered via the magic of technology and screens and stuff like that. Um, we need, uh, that'll be at 945 and 1115. We need about 100 people who would regularly attend the 945 service and about 100 people who regularly attend this service to decide to make that their worshiping venue uh, starting September 1st. We also need about that many people who decide they want to get their steps in on Sunday morning and they're going to start parking either across the street in the strip mall or in the, you know, the shopping center over there or across the way in the little strip mall just down the hill, which we own, so that is our parking. Uh, you won't have to cross the street if you park there. There are stairs that connect it. For those of you who park there, we need lots of you to park at the far end of it. And you're like, Ethan, that's 100 yards away. And I, my only response is, think how proud your doctor will be that you took a Sunday morning walk. You know what I'm saying? Um, you're going to lose 15 pounds uh, just by worship, just by parking farther away. We're very proud of you. Um, all right. So we, that needs to happen right away. Another, another way that you can help contribute to that, if those options don't work for you, if, if you want to worship at 815, we got tons of room at 815. Um, so if you want to come at 815, uh, we are um, increasing our child uh, programming offering at 815 to make it easier for more of you to switch. I think it's programming going to be through six years old, through kindergarten, I think is what we're going to do there. Maybe it's going all the way up to elementary. I, I should know that, uh, but I'll, ha I'll know that by next week. Um, but we'll make, if that makes it easier for families to switch. That starts in September. I know that's sort of inside baseball for those of you who are guests. For you who are guests, we're so glad you're here. Uh, for those of you who aren't guests, we got to make room for more guests. we got to park like we really want new people to meet Jesus. And we've got to worship like we really want new people to meet Jesus. So for a lot of us, that'll mean worshiping. If you don't know how to get to the CLC, don't worry. There'll be signs. We'll make it super easy for you. It's just sort of at the other end of the building. But most importantly is not that specific act. Although that's a big deal for the life of our church. We need a lot of people to do that. Most importantly, I just want you to hear the simple truth that Jesus is trying to teach you. Following Jesus starts with these two commands. If you know them, 
boy, you are super close to the kingdom of God. To know these two commands, you are standing at the entrance of God's kingdom and the gate is wide open and it is there for you to enter if you know the commands. But if you want to enter the kingdom, Jesus says, if you want to live, obey them. You are not following Jesus if there is something you love and worship more than God. You're just headed the other direction. Big wrong way sign says, idolatry, this way. And you are not following Jesus if you allow yourself to continue to treat others with hatred and contempt. You're just walking the wrong way. Big sign. Hatred, this way. And Jesus interrupts us. As we wander off in the wrong direction toward certain destruction, Jesus says, hey, hey, whoa, 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 you're going the wrong way. Turn around. Follow me. Take my DNA. Let it be expressed in your life. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Worship him alone. Anchor your life. Organize your life around the worship of God. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Because God loves you. Let me pray for you. God, let us today hear the interruption of Jesus who calls to us as we wander off in self-destructive directions and says, come, follow me. This is the path of life. This is the way of life to hear his words and do it. And we want that life, God. Call us that way. May we follow and obey you in this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.